0: Thank you. Good morning. How are we? Good. I see some new faces today. I want to see my name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here at Vertical Life Church. I want to say welcome. If you're a guest with us today, Jason already kind of said it, you are a VIP, a very important person. And the reason why we we call our guests VIPs is because we believe everyone matters to God. We believe everyone, and so we hope that the time you spend with us today, you feel that. You feel loved, not just by the people in this place, but also by your Heavenly Father. That's our greatest joy, is to uh, to share His love with you today. Um, We are going to continue in our uh, study in the Gospel of Matthew, so if you have your Bible with you today, you can flip on over to Matthew chapter 22, or if you have your digital copy on your smartphone or tablet, you can navigate now. That way, and While you're doing that, if you want to take a second to uh, check in on Facebook, let people know you're here and what great time you're having at Vertical Life Church, that just helps us get the word out about what God is doing in this place and we would appreciate that today. Um, we're going to start our, uh, our talk today. This is going to be kind of a tough one. I've kind of struggled with this message this week. Um, I kind of knew what God wanted to say. I just didn't really know how to say it because this is something that I wrestle with in my own life. This is something that I think every one of us battle against, especially as we try to honor God with our lives uh, each and every day. And so uh, we're going to kind of unpack what Jesus, uh, this kind of story and this uh, uh, conversation Jesus is having with this group of people and how that applies to our lives. Um, so we're going to just get right in. We're going to read the scriptures. Uh, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into to the talk today. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 23 Says the same day Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question Teacher, Moses said if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So his brother married the widow, but the second brother also died, and then the third brother married her and continued with all seven men. "'Last of all, the woman also died. "'So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? "'For all seven were married to her. "'Jesus replied, "'Your mistake is that you don't know the Scriptures, "'and you don't know the power of God. "'For when the dead rise, "'they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, "'and in this respect they will be like the angels in heaven. "'But now as to whether there'll be a resurrection of the dead, "'haven't you ever read about this in the Scriptures?' Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living and not the dead. And when the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we open your word today, God, our ears are just available to you. Our hearts are open to you. Lord, we come to get a word from you, to enter into your presence, to know what your will and desire is for our lives, God, but ultimately so we can have greater hope and faith in Jesus Christ because we know it's through him we can have life and that we are saved and we can overcome the issues that we wrestle with in our life today, God. So I just pray against the enemy in this place. I pray against distraction. I pray against the issues and struggles that we brought into this place just through living our lives and even just waking up this morning, God. And I ask that your presence would fall as we gather now in the name of Jesus, amen. So I don't know if it's just because I'm now a pastor of a church, or because uh, you know, we, Tony and I have surrendered to ministry, but I think God likes to test me and my biblical knowledge through my kids sometimes. Uh, I used to, when I would, would drive Jocelyn to preschool, I would take her every day, and it was not uncommon that she would have some very deep theological questions that I was like, what did you just say? What did you just ask me? Does your little brain even can I, can come up with these things? I don't even know. So, you know, this happens from time to time, and, and it wasn't too long ago that uh, my wife was having this conversation with London, our, our second child, about heaven, because we were, we talked to them about, you know, why we're saved, what Jesus has promised us, what we have to look forward to in heaven. And the, and the conversation came up, and L- London started thinking, well, it, if I go to heaven, are you still going to be my mommy and my daddy? And are we still going to have the family? And, and I'm thinking about this story, how the Sadducees were asking Christ kind of the same question. Whose wife will she be in heaven since she was married to all these people? And uh, and so Tony and I were trying to figure out how to tell her, like, we'll still be related. You know, you, you'll still know me as your father and mother. But but we won't have that same kind of relationship because we will all be brothers and sisters in Christ, We'll be in heaven. We'll be one large family for all those who are in faith. And so God will be our father, and everyone else will be our family. And for some reason, she kind of thought that meant that we would never be together ever again. Uh, like, like that's that was just like as soon as we die, that's it. She'd never see us again. And we're like, no, 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 that's not how it's going to be. It's just going to be a little different. But she could not get over this thought or this feeling that we were going to be separated forever. When we die, now, what you have to understand about London is she's our dramatic child. And so when she gets upset about something, she's really upset. I mean, she cries, and and it seems like the crying gets harder and harder and progressively worse and worse. And we're like, calm down. And she's like, oh, I can't calm down. And then it gets even worse beyond that. And so for like for like 30, 40 minutes or an hour, I don't know how long Tony had to deal with that. Uh, but uh, she was like trying to console her. And then when I come back from work to kind of carry on the conversation, it started all over again. And so th- this was kind of a thing. But what London didn't understand is that in heaven, we won't be separated. We won't We won't not see each other again, we will be united. We'll be together, and we will also be with the Lord. We'll be like the angels. We'll be completely fulfilled by God. So we won't necessarily need to have the same kind of human relationships that we have, even though we'll be together. We'll be completely fulfilled. Our joy and our happiness, what we will experience in heaven, will be on another level. It's not something that we can even comprehend here on the earth. Our our joy, our happiness will be complete, and so we won't necessarily long for the same kind of relationships. That's why Jesus said they're not going to marry or be given in marriage, because we won't have that desire or that need for that kind of companionship anymore, because we will be completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Can you think about that? That in heaven you will not have those deep longings, you'll not have that sense of loneliness or or that that deep feeling of, of kind of that need to be completed by someone because all things will be completed in Jesus Christ. But see, it didn't matter what we were telling London, because she was convinced that heaven was not gonna be any good without her family. She she was like, Well, if that if I'm not gonna see you again, then I don't wanna go. I wanna stay right here. This is What she was thinking about. So her perception of the truth distorted her ability to believe God's promises and plans were better than what she thought she had a grip on here in this life. She thought that what she had right now was better than what God had promised. You see, the Sadducees, this group of people that Jesus is talking to here in Matthew 22, they're just another religious sect like the Pharisees are that we see a lot in the New Testament. It'd be like different denominations of the Christian church. You have Catholics, you have Presbyterian, you have Baptists. They all kind of have their own set of beliefs kind of centered on the same ideas. And in Acts chapter 23, verse 8, we see kind of what the Sadducees believed about eternity and about life. You see, they believed in the commandments of God. They believed in the laws of Moses. They just didn't believe a lot in the supernatural or spiritual realm that God had created. In Acts 23, verse 8, it says, the Sadducees say there's no resurrection. There's no coming back. There are no angels. There's no spirits. That's the human soul. So if you don't have a soul, then resurrection is impossible because there's nothing to come back from. There's no eternal life. This is similar to an atheistic form of belief. Atheists believe that once you die, that's it, that this life is all you have. So there's, there's nothing beyond. And so this is kind of where the Sadducees were. Even though they were religious, they believed in God, they believed God gives you this life, and that's it. There's nothing beyond this life. And because they thought they had it all figured out, there was not any room to consider any other options. They weren't even going to give any credence to them. It's similar to those in the scientific community. You see what's accepted in our culture, are things about climate change or evolution, things that many Christians seem to have a differing opinion about. The scientific community, they don't even accept the chance or possibility of any other options because they believe they've got it all. Figured out. This happens on a personal level with the way we feel about politics or different political issues, social issues, and the like, even moral issues. And the first point I see Jesus make here in this text, as he's talking to these uh, the, these Sadducees, and, and what I kind of pull from my conversation with London, number one is that faulty premises lead to faulty conclusions. If you start with a bad concept, you will lead you to a bad conclusion. In other words, your starting point affects your ending point. Say starting point. Starting point. Keep that in mind. Starting point. If you have a bad starting point, you will have a bad ending point. You see, the Sadducees, they didn't believe the entire word of God. Back then, it would have been the Old Testament. They didn't believe all that God had to say. They only believed in certain portions of God's word. And since they had a partial faith, they had a partial truth. And that ultimately, it was their arrogance and pride that kept them trapped in their ignorance. And they were missing out on what God was doing right there in that moment. As God in the flesh was standing before them, they were missing out on what God was doing in their lives. And many of us wake up each day and we begin our day with faulty premises, with a bad starting point. We wake up believing that life will never get any better. That what we are experiencing now is how it's always going to be. That my struggles, my problems, this misery that I wake up to each day, that this is all there is. That there's no chance that I'll ever be able to overcome my bad habits because I've tried and it's just not worked. Your temper will never get resolved because you can't ever seem to beat it. Your vices, your relationships will never change. Your spouse will never change. Anybody believe like that this morning? Don't raise your hand because you'll end up in divorce court this afternoon. Right? But this is things that we struggle with. These are things that we wake up thinking and believing. You start your day, ultimately, with an absence of hope. A hope that life can get better, that God can and will do miracles in your life. So why did the Sadducees doubt the resurrection? Why did they doubt life after this life or eternity? Matthew 22, verse 29, the first part of that verse, Jesus makes a very clear statement. He says, your mistake is that you don't know what? The scriptures. You don't know the scriptures. Keep in mind, this group of people lived reading and studying the scriptures. The Pharisees, in the same way, lived reading Studying the scriptures. This is a powerful statement. He's saying you don't know the scriptures. You see, there's a difference between knowing what the Bible says and knowing it deeply in your heart, so that it motivates and directs your everyday life. There's a difference between knowing or being able to quote a verse from the Bible, and there's another thing about knowing it so intimately that it governs your decisions and your choices. David in Psalm one nineteen eleven, he says, "Thy word have I hid in my heart." That I might not sin against thee. You see, there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge, and Jesus is revealing that many of these guys, they had the head knowledge, but they didn't know His word. And many of us fall in the same spot. And the reason why this is so important is because we have a real enemy. We have an adversary. We don't just have a God who loves us and wants good for us. We have an enemy named Satan, the devil, who wants nothing. But evil for us. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you believe that? Are you sure? Because if you believe that, then you would guard against that, you would guard against the thief's attacks. But we, just as we sang in the songs today, we understand that because of what Christ did on the cross, Satan is a defeated foe. He is powerless. His power has been taken. The kingdom has been taken back through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Satan has no power over the children of God. But yet seemingly and somehow he finds his way in to work his plans of stealing, killing, and destroying in our lives. And how does he do that? How does a powerless, defeated foe have such power and effect in our lives? Well, he counts on our lack of knowledge. Our lack of knowledge in the truth. He counts on us knowing how to quote scripture, but not truly knowing and believing the scripture. And so he fills in those gaps in our faith with lies. And one lie leads to another, and then more lies, and then more lies until it begins and forms a framework around our lives and we begin to act in that. I truly believe that the greatest evil committed in this life and in this world and all the world is the death of the innocent in order to cover or hide the sins of the guilty. And that's what happens the moment Jesus is hanging on the cross. The most innocent, pure, and perfect one is murdered in order to cover up the sins of those they thought had it all together. To keep them from being accountable, being responsible, or having to change. But God had a different plan in store for Jesus. You see, the greatest evil was perpetrated so that the greatest good could be provided. Salvation came out of that evil. But there is evil that happens in this world today. Innocents are sacrificed every day to cover the sins of the guilty. And I'm sure that these religious leaders, I truly believe... That they woke up each day wanting to serve God. I don't believe that they woke up and said, you know what, we're going to commit great evil today. We're going to go murder Jesus. I don't think that they woke up just thinking and believing. No, there was something more sinister at play years and years before Jesus ever made it to the cross. You see, Satan, he doesn't just say, hey, go kill this person and have you do it. Why? Because God has given us a conscience. When we are faced with great evil, we have a crisis, an inner battle that takes place. We're like, no, that is wrong. No, there's something not right about that that's being presented to me. And because Satan is a defeated foe, we are not slaves to him any longer. He cannot force us to commit great acts of evil because through the power of God, we have overcome him and we have defeated him. So what he does is he lures us through lies to produce evil in our lives. He doesn't say go commit murder, but he merely does something else. He convinces us that something that is false is something that is true. And his lies that he spreads are so believable that we even feel like they are causeworthy, like something to get behind. And in our day and age, I'm talking about the innocent being sacrificed for the guilty, one of the biggest moral issues and causes we have in our day is around the issue of abortion in the lies that satan has spread in our culture are ever aware and ever apparent and many of us have probably even quoted these lies we say something like the woman the woman has the right over her own body well if you're in christ scripture says you've been bought with a price and your body belongs to god but yet, we say the woman has a right over her own body. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the government should stay out of a, lot of a lot of things. You know, in the healthcare law that was passed not too long ago, there was a big controversy that within that law that it mandated that every American gets a microchip implant. Big, big ordeal. And it was all over the news. Big, big to-do on Facebook. And so there are lots of things I think the government ought to stay out of. They ought to not tell us what we can or cannot do with our bodies. But see, that lie, that the woman or we have a right over our own bodies, the point of that lie isn't to keep the government out of health care. The point of that argument is to open the door for us to do even greater evil. It not only gives us permission to murder the innocent, but it almost makes us feel obligated to do so. If the circumstances surrounding the pregnancy aren't just perfect, You don't have the right finances. You don't have the right background. The right health situation isn't in order. And his lies give us this illusion of being good and right, but the intention is leading you to do the unthinkable. One lie leads to the next. You see, it starts with this idea that the woman has the right to choose. Then it moves to a life really isn't a life. And because a life isn't a life, murder really isn't murder. Because why? Because the woman has the right to choose. One lie compounded unto another. And when the woman chooses, Satan gets what he wants, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This is how good Bible-believing Christians fall into the devil's trap. He makes us believe lies. The Sadducees believed lies. They believed that there were only portions of God's word that were true, and other portions that weren't, God, that weren't true. And because they picked some parts to believe and others to ignore, they were missing out on the great story God was unfolding right before their very eyes. And for the Sadducees, rejection of the resurrection meant the rejection of Jesus' teachings because he was declaring he was going to die and come back again. And ultimately, it meant the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, leading them to do the only good and right thing that they could think of with this man, and that was to join with the Pharisees to challenge him and ultimately remove him out of the way. And the greatest evil in all of history was perpetrated in the world. And see, Satan will get you to think about lies, to believe lies about so many things. He'll get you to believe lies about who you are and your value about God's intentions towards you, about what you're capable of, about your worthiness, about your holiness and your relationship with God, about how much you are loved and cared for, about how strong you are and what you can handle, about how much you are needed and wanted and valued, about your character, about your ability to provide, about your ability to parent well, about your ability to dig yourself out of your own financial mistakes about being able to finish what you started, about being able to be successful, your ability to be a good spouse, a good parent, even what is morally right and wrong, he will get you to believe lies about just about anything he can to work his way into your life. And Satan lies because his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, and ultimately bring about your death. If not your life, he will definitely bring about the death of your hope. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, the writer of Hebrews says that this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for the souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. You see, our hope, point number two, our hope is what leads us. It's what keeps you going. It's what drives your faith. It's what motivates you to get up each morning and keep trying, to keep moving, to keep believing to be steadfast to be strong and when we lose our hope we start believing satan's life that that our lives will never be any different or can be any different so instead of rising up out of our struggles we settle down into our struggles we slam the door on our hope and the possibility of change and we say things like it's never going to get any better Nothing is ever going to happen. You're never going to change. And we lose hope. And when we lose hope, we lose ambition and motivation. To be faithful to the word of God, to provides Satan an open door to unleash his plans in our lives. And so our minds become dominated by what Satan wants us to think about and believe and not what God wants us to think about And believe. In Romans chapter 8, 5 and 6, Paul says to the church of Rome, he says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You see, Satan wants to destroy, he wants to destroy your hope, and his lies lead to death. The word death here in Romans chapter uh, 8, we know that the, the scriptures were originally written in the Greek language. Here in Romans chapter 8, when he says that your, your sinful nature will control your mind and lead to death, death here literally can be translated as lifeless, destitute of force, of power, inactive, or inoperative. So Satan wants to get you to think in sinful ways, ways that are contrary to the will and word of God, so ultimately he can put an end. To your hope, an end to your faith. Make your faith lifeless, inactive, and inoperative. James said, faith without work, without action, is an inactive, is a dead faith. A faith without hope is lifeless. A faith without hope is powerless. A faith without hope is an inactive and inoperative faith. And this is what Satan wants to bring about in your life. Because his plans are to steal, kill, and destroy. Verse 29 of Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, you don't know the scriptures. And then he replies, you also don't know the power of God. You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. A couple weeks ago, our family went, on, uh, went to the beach, uh, just kind of took a little mini vacation on uh, a weekend or so ago. And uh, we were all at the beach laying out. I, unfortunately, had been sick all, the, all weekend, and so I just laid on the beach like a dead whale and, and just soaked up the sun. Uh, but Reese, he kind of got tired of swimming and being out in the water, and so he wanted to go to the playground at the park that we were at. And uh, he was there, uh, got on the merry-go-round. You guys remember the merry-go-round? I don't know why, but uh, we love making ourselves sick on the merry-go-round when I was a kid. They're going as fast as possible. And there's probably like 10 kids on that. They were, they were playing games and doing all this stuff. And I'm just sitting there watching them. And finally, some of the kids just kind of walk off. And there are Reese and like two other kids are there. And they're trying to figure out who's going to get off to push. Because no one wants to push. We all want to ride. And uh, so they were kind of going back and forth trying to figure out who was going to push. And so a Reese looked over to me and he yelled. He's like, Dad. And I'm sitting on the, the swing. I'm like, what? And he's like, can you push us? And I'm like, oh, I don't feel good. This is not going to go good for me. Well, I'll do it. So I get up and I walk over to the merry-go-round. And as I'm walking up, one of the kids that Reese had made friends with looks over to Reese and he's like, can your dad push us fast? And Reese, you got to know Reese to, to know why this is funny. But Reese, he, he's a very kind of like serious but also like cynical personality. He looks at the kid like he's the dumbest kid in all the world. He's like, it's my dad. You know, he just looks at him. He's like, you're an idiot. You ask me that question? It's my dad. Of course he can push it fast. It's my dad. Don't ask me that question, you moron. You know, it's, you can just see this pouring off on his face, right? And here Jesus, as he talks to these, these Sadducees about the resurrection, says, you don't know the spirit. He says, and you also don't know the power of God. You don't know what God can do. He's looking at these Sadducees, and he's looking at them like, you morons, you don't know the power of my dad, of my father, what God can do in your life. You see, the kid didn't know me or what I was capable of, but because Reese and I had relationship, Reese believed in what I could do, he knew that I was going to swing that so fast that they all were want to get off as soon as possible, right? This is what he knew. And see, you too have a daddy in heaven, just like Jesus Christ. You have a Father in heaven who can do far greater than what you could possibly imagine. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And you might think, well, I've got a pretty big problem. Well, God's waiting for you to rise up to a challenge because he's still waiting. He's infinitely able to do way more Then we could ask or think, well, I can think pretty high. Well, guess what? God can think higher. Well, my struggle is big. Well, guess what? God is bigger. Well, I don't know. I feel pretty weak. Well, that's great because our God is stronger than anything you could come up against. All things are possible with God. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, if you have a relationship with God, you've placed your faith and trust in him. All things are possible in and through you because Jesus lives in and through you. The more you understand the scriptures and not just can quote the verses, the more you know his word, the more you will understand what he has promised and what he has made available to you in Christ Jesus. You will know his plans and purposes and his will for your life. In John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy, but guess what? Jesus has also a purpose. He also came for a reason. And that is to give you a rich and satisfying life. A life overflowing. Number three, life is a promise. It's a promise of God. Leonard Ravenhill said this once. He said, Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good. He came into the world to make dead men live. Are you living today? Are you alive? Satan wants you dead, but Jesus died so you could live. You weren't meant to live this life like a zombie, consumed by an incurable depressive state of struggle and misery, without the ability to experience hope, joy, and indescribable love. You see, this is what the lies of Satan does. It creates a framework of thought and belief around our lives. It makes us think in such negative ways, in such hopeless ways. And God did not save you to live like that. Why, oh why, do we settle for struggles? Why, oh why, do we accept the destructive lies Satan is feeding us that are leading us to live like dead men walking when God has won our right to overcome them through the cross of Jesus Christ? And not only has he won the right, but he provided the way. John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you know that today? Two problems the Sadducees had, they didn't know the scriptures. They didn't know the power of God. And here Jesus says, when you know, when you're faithful to my teachings, when you know it in here, not just up here, you will know the truth, and the truth will work the power of God out in your life. You will be free. You will overcome. You see, Satan's lies cannot overpower God's truth. And when we believe God's truth, your life will move towards the deliverance Jesus provided for you on the cross there are people here today that need to be delivered from their lack of confidence in who they are in Christ Jesus, their sense of worth, their lack of security in who they are and who God made them to be. And many of these issues that we wrestle with are what are choking out our faith, the faith of God's people, because it's robbing us of our hope and our dreams. And if God can raise Jesus from the dead through the Holy Spirit, Imagine what he can do in and through you, who now play home to the very same spirit. If you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, 32, Jesus said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So God is the God of the living and not of the dead. God is the God of the living, and if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are also free to live because God is alive in you. Do you know that? And do you believe that today? You see, we are waiting for heaven. We are waiting to be on the other side. We're waiting for the fulfillment of his promises when we get to heaven. There's an old song in the hymnal that the chorus says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. And that seems to be all that we're looking forward to is heaven to come. But the reality of those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and the fourth thing I see in this passage of scripture today is that new life begins now. Eternity doesn't begin then, new life begins now. You see, after Jesus stumped the Sadducees, another group that seems to poke their heads up every you know, once in a while in the scriptures, the Pharisees, came to take their swipe at Jesus Christ. In verse 34, the Pharisees overheard this back and forth between Jesus and uh, the Sadducees. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with this reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on. On these two commandments. You see, in heaven, we will be like the angels. We will be with God. We'll be fully devoted by God, devoted to God, and completely fulfilled by God. But we don't have to wait to live that kind of life now. We can begin living it now by following the two greatest commandments. Loving God with all that we are, and loving others is how we get a taste of that life to come. The core concept of this message today is simply this, that we don't really start living until we start walking the path to life. And that path begins with faith. It is led by hope and it's sustained by love. See, heaven meets earth when the people of God are in love with God and others get to be blessed because of it. And this is our great purpose as the church of Jesus Christ. This is God's path to living that abundant life, to love Him with all we are, and let that love pour into others. Matthew 6:33, Jesus said, "Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. Seek passionately after God. Live according to His will. Love other people, and you will have what you need. And what do you need today? What do you need? Do you need deliverance from lies that you've believed for years? Jesus says, seek the Lord. Do you need healing in your marriage? Jesus says, seek the Lord. you need deliverance from addictions and habits? Jesus says, seek the Lord. You wanna quit feeling like you're dying every day and finally begin to start living? Jesus says, seek the Lord. Do you need forgiveness from a past wrong? Seek the Lord. Do you need deliverance from the shame of past mistakes? Seek the Lord. Seek him above all else. Follow his teachings and you will find everything you need. It's time for his people to pursue him passionately so that his power can prevail among his people. God is the God of the living, And he wants you today to begin living that abundant life. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this place. What areas in your life, as we wrestle with the word of God today, what areas in your life have you given up hope? What have you stopped believing can change? What lies have you been believing about your situation? What have you been speaking the word never over in your life? What have you been doubting God's power to work out in your life? Today, for just a few moments, as the music begins to play, we are going to just provide you a time to just begin to confess those things, pour those things out of your heart, your frustrations, your doubts, and cast all your cares on Jesus. For he cares for you. And he wants to begin bringing hope and life in your heart today. See, the first step to deliverance, the first step to victory over the lies of the enemy, to being set free, is placing your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ. Hope leads you. Hope is going to lead you to deliverance, to to the salvation that you seek. And that begins with faith and hope in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. And today I'm going to invite you that if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've gone to church, you know with your head, but you've not truly believed with your heart that right now in this place, you can begin to experience that life word of God says that you confess Jesus as, as your Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead you will be saved and right now in this moment we're going to invite you to pray this prayer of faith with me to invite him into your life to make him your Lord and Savior and to begin pursuing his will through his teachings as he brings deliverance in your life right now if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior you've never begun a relationship with him And right now, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm so thankful Jesus died for me. I place my faith and trust in him now. He is my Lord and Savior. I now place my hope in him, and I'm seeking after you, Jesus. Take me, Lord. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, we're so excited for you. We celebrate with you. We look forward to surrounding you and encouraging you in your faith journey as you begin to walk with the Lord. And in just a moment, when we dismiss, if you would fill out your connection card and just write on there, you accepted Christ as your Savior, that's such an encouragement to us to know the impact of our ministry. And if you just drop that by the VIP table, we'd appreciate it. But if you're here today and you've been wrestling, you've been struggling, you've been speaking never over your life, over your relationships, you've lost hope in this place, you've been believing the lies of the enemy, then right now we invite you to begin pouring your heart out. Just take your burdens before the Lord. Father, I just pray for those here in this place. So much pain, so much baggage, so much heartache, So much struggle. God, you've prepared better for us. Your plans are good for us. Your love is great for us. And you've made life available through your Son, God. And we just thank you and we receive that life today. No more do we believe that the power of the enemy is greater than the power of God. No longer do we believe that the power of our situation is greater than the power of God. You are our daddy. And all things are possible through you. We just pray this now in the name of Jesus.